0: Coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together. Another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwashed Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwashed Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwashed Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher Powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists,
1: doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side.
0: Please be aware we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are on the other side of hell. (laughs) I can't take you seriously when you say that. Why? I don't know. It's a, a Uh, we're on a show. Yeah. We have a show today. Yep. You showed up. Again. I showed up. Again. We even have Jordan and Rylan helping us today. So it's sure to be a good day. Yeah, it will be. Don't you think? Yeah, it's good to be in the studio. I, I just love hanging out with you guys. I love it too. There's something about, you know your attitude, Jordan's attitude, Rylan's attitude, that really just makes me grateful to have good people in my life. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Those, that, the, uh, the company we keep, right.
0: Yeah. Has, has a big, big effect on our lives. Yeah. And I feel like even our outer circle, like we've been so blessed with, uh, with the people that we've met, um, online and inst- in the Instagram community. And one of those people, uh, is, is we've met uh, uh, Donnie yep. from the Not So Anonymous podcast. We met all the Not So Anonymous. Two, well, we met a couple of the Not Two So Anonymous guys Dylan in L.A. when we were out there. Yeah, Dylan and Donnie were in L.A. for the Valor Rising event. And it was so cool to uh, to meet them. And, and, uh, and we were able to get Donnie's story. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be getting Dylan's story as well. Should be on the next I'm episode. Hoping. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, one of the things that we got from Donnie's story is is how important it is to surround ourselves with with good people. Right? Yeah. The company we keep. The company we keep is the topic for today, because um, one of the things that I really heard in Donnie's story was, um, you know, he talked a lot about those people in his life that, you know, were, quote unquote, his friends. Yeah. That uh, that that sort of kept feeding him drugs under the guise of other drugs that that uh, that eventually you know led him down led him to cross a lot of lines. Yeah, almost died. Yeah, and more uh, than once. And I think it's it's just a testament, you know, like when we get sober, we have to change so many things, and one of those things is the people that we surround yeah. ourselves with. Yeah, um, I know that. You've had to make some hard choices. Um, I've had to make some hard choices. And I thought, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Because when we're using and drinking, like we're under this spell, um, that uh, that these people are our friends, that these people care about us. And I think when we get sober and we get down the road a ways, we're able to look at those situations and really have a different perspective. So let me ask you, Willie, um, have you, I know that, uh, that you had some, some friends in your world and, and that you've had to sort of separate yourself from in sobriety. What, what has that process been like for you? Uh, It's been a long process. That's for sure. You know,
1: I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to claim that, uh, uh, that that i didn't care about the people that i used and drank with or or that they didn't care about me because i i know that that there was some genuine love and and right. and fun for that we just we, we didn't know how to respect each other's lives you know we just didn't you don't know how to out there when when i'm i'm drinking and using and and living in that selfish nature of the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction um, I don't know that I'm living in that selfishness, you know, I don't know that everything revolves around me so much and, and I can gain a lot of confidence and, um, like quote unquote self-esteem by, by being a good friend, yeah. You know? by being there for them, sharing my drugs, sharing my booze, right. sharing my crimes, sharing my women, you know, um, because the era that i grew up in was kind of like uh it ain't no fun if the homies can't have none kind of kind of era and i found a place that that i fit in the streets you know right. a, amongst other sick people that that found a place that they fit and and we did we did gain camaraderie however it w- it was like a uh uh a parasite if you will, like, like we were slowly destroying each other through negative behavior. I wasn't any better to them than they were to me. And, um, under the, under the illusion of, of love, we're slowly killing each other, putting ourselves in, in dangerous situations, you know, like, I don't know how many times we all drove drunk together or, or carried guns or got into fights or any of that stuff. And, and, you know, looking back on it, I can see that 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 type of behavior isn't a great demonstration of love and respect, you know, even though at the time it seemed like it was. And so I like Donnie, you know, I, I had people telling me in my life, you know, you need to find a new set of friends, but I, I was also the guy. They needed to find a new set of friends as well. Right. And so the process came through a lot of, of trauma and, and trouble and, pain and, and discomfort and a lot of jail time. And, um, you know, for me, when I was 24, uh, we were, we were running the streets, man. You know, we had the, we had it locked down. We were bringing dope up from Utah into Wyoming. Um, and, and quite a bit of it to be, to be fair enough that there was a sting operation happening on me and my friends. Yeah, and, and um, you know, push came to shove uh people started getting busted everything was hot we were all hot uh there was there was no more hiding what we were doing all the the authorities knew everything that we were doing all the moves we were making we were being highly watched and we you know i didn't care i i, I didn't think what i was doing was that serious but the thing operation came around and and uh you know we we finally all got arrested. there was like twelve or thirteen of us that got arrested and and within a couple of weeks, there was three of us left in jail um and what came out of that was that my girlfriend at the time wore wire on me and my roommate you know and and I caught charges for conspiracy to deliver methamphetamines and and you know that kind of kick started my recovery attempts but you know with with friends like that, yeah, you know. That was my girlfriend and, and, and close friends. Like everybody was rolling on everybody. And, um, I ended up, you know, being one of the three that ended up staying in jail for a long period of time and taking my time and, and doing everything that I had to do to, to appease the court and, and all that. And, and what I realized was that I don't want to be around people like that. You know, I had a completely different outlook on, street mentality than the people that I was running with. And I didn't know that. And so when I went into treatment at 24, I found a new group of people that, that spoke about the way that I was thinking. And it was the people in the rooms of recovery, Yeah, you know, and, and even though it's been a really long process, um, because that was, that was almost 20 years ago. Now, Mm -hmm. um, I've had to, to trial and error, and trial and error, the people in my life, you know, um, early on, I wanted to believe that, that I could hang out with people that are, you know, drinking or using, but I found that I don't even like being around people that are drinking or using. Right. Like I have nothing in common with them to, to a large degree. Um, but that idea that I owe them something kind of kinda of stays with me mm-hmm. for for a little while. I don't I don't have it so much anymore, but it took it took me a while, you know, and I spent a lot of time alone in early sobriety. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that people need to be prepared for, um, spending some time alone in between meetings. Yeah. You know, especially when all your friends are still using and drinking. Um I had to take it at face value and, and I had to take it at the word of other people that um you know, if I hang out at a barber shop long enough, I'm going to get a haircut. Right. Yeah. I love that saying. Um, and I, I found that to be true prior to age 24 when, you know, they were trying to get me sober most of my life. When you say they, <laughs> like the authorities, sure, counselors, judges, cops, parents, mm-hmm. loved ones, you know, everybody. Dare. Yeah. <laughs> teachers. Uh, They're all always trying to, you know, work on me and get me out of trouble. But, you know, I would I I would get into trouble like I got into trouble when I was 15 for robbing a bar. I I went into juvie and um, when I got out, uh, my intentions were well, but I went back to that same crowd and I thought, you know, I could probably I could probably not use Mm -hmm. because I'm different. And hanging out with the gangster buddies, you know, I ended up using. Right. And then I ended up going on a run. And, yeah. And I ended up in trouble. And then I ended up in jail. And then I ended up out. And I wasn't going to drink. And just going to stop by and see how homeboy's doing. And I think it, at some at some level at that time, there was still an intention of using. You know, I think I just kind of wanted to get away with it. or I didn't think that. I was alcoholic. Like, I didn't understand
0: the disease of alcoholism or right. addiction at the time. Hadn't really fully accepted. Yeah.
1: And I, I hadn't really fully cared. I didn't really fully care until I was, you know, 33, nine years ago. Right. <laughs> Almost 10 years ago when I finally surrendered to the fact that I can't be around people that are using and drinking. I can't use and drink everything. My, my life turns to shit. Mm-hmm i don't like it
0: yeah well i i w- what I found interesting about what you just said is that first we have to accept within ourselves that we we cannot use and drink, and if we we can accept that within ourselves, then generally we're willing to do whatever is necessary, and I think the reason I mentioned that is because I think about my own journey and when I had stopped drinking and using originally, I would still go and hang out with those people who did not share my desire to not drink or drug, right? right. And uh and they would drink and drug just like I had been. And 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 it really like in retrospect and looking at it, it's like come on. Like I had to know, like, that's, that's what I was going to end up doing. Like putting myself in that situation, in that environment with those friends, like, I feel like on some sort of level, subconscious or not, like I knew that it was going to ultimately end up with me being drunk or high. And that, you know, like the disease may have been, you know, steering me in that direction or whatever the case was. But when I, truly found that I could not drink or drug. And I knew for a fact that, that if I did take a drink or take a drug, that it was going to end up being, you know, God knows what, before I, you know, would end up stopping again. Then I knew that I couldn't put myself in those environments anymore. But it was like you said, like I had those people in my life who... I had convinced myself I had, you know, a, a, a really good friendship with. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say, like, uh, that I that I didn't genuinely care about these individuals. It's just what I didn't realize at the time was how much our relationship was solely based on our common goal of so getting get, fucked up. Getting loaded. Yeah, exactly. and uh, And so, you know, I did have those people that... I did feel like I owed them something. Like, oh, I, well, I still want to hang out with you. Like, I like you. You're a good dude. Like, you know, and, and, uh, and plus, like, I don't know what else to do. Right. Like, right. sometimes, like, that's the biggest hurdle that we have is like, okay, but if I don't do this, then what do I do? Which is, which is why we're lucky enough, hopefully, to, to get into, you know, a program or have somebody who's been there that can tell us what to do. Well, you got to fucking go to AA, bro. You got to, you know, get into a program. You got to introduce yourself to people. That's one thing Donnie talked about in his story was having a sponsor who said, introduce yourself to everybody at the meeting. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I think that that's a part of it is like figuring out what not to do and then figuring out what we can do. Um, and, and it's been an interesting journey. Like I have one friend in particular who, um, you know, like I, I mean, he and I hung out every day and, um, and, you know, I was convinced that we were just the best of friends and, um, and then I got sober and he got sober too for a little bit, but then he ended up going back out and, and, uh, it was difficult for me to know how to sort of navigate that, you know, but yeah. I knew that if I hung out with him, like I had been, that it was going to result in me you know, ending up in that situation that he was in where he, where he had relapsed. And uh, and so, you know, eventually I just kind of had to to um, watch from the sidelines as he continued to sort of burn his life to the ground. And then, um, you know, at some point I did get together with him and, and it was in that moment that I realized just how much of our relationship was based on you know the the using and drinking and and that we weren't the same people anymore right he was kind of stuck in this negative void in space that is a result of um, you know just a dry drunk if you will um, and you know and I was um, working a program and I had some good positive influences in my life and And so, you know, after that incident, I was like, I don't I don't think, you know, like we're we need to hang out anymore. I didn't say that to him. But that that actually raises a good question is like, do we do we do we need to have conversations with these friends? Like, do we like is there. Some do we owe these people anything? Do we owe them at least a conversation, an explanation? Um, hey, man, like uh, if I'm trying to do this, you're doing that. Like, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hang around you anymore. Yeah. Um, what's been your experience I, with that? I, I, it seems to happen organically. You yeah. Know? I mean,
1: yeah. Like when I when I was using and people were getting sober, I didn't want to be around them anyway. Yeah. You know? And and I think it goes both ways. Um, when I sh- when I show up and you're using, you're uncomfortable. Like that's just the way it is. Right. Now, right? Yeah, it's true. Like there's this there's this weird um, there's this weird shame that goes along, especially at, at our age. Like like by the time if you've been using and drinking like me, by the time you're in your late 30s, 40s and 50s like you know you got a fucking problem right, right? like like you know that and <clears throat> when you see see a guy like me or a guy like donnie or yourself that that's sober now that you used to compare yourself to and be like fuck as long as i never get as bad as willie and all of a sudden willie's sober yeah and shows up and you're drunk it, it's like you know i felt it off of so many people sure and and, and even though I show up with with genuine compassion for the alcoholic because I you know as far as my sobriety goes it's no respecter of men like my 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 sobriety wants the people I used to use with to get sober every bit as much as as a stranger that I've never met like like I want people to have this yeah. you know and and a lot of times you know it's just too close and so I found that that it happens organically for the most part but there there has been a few people in my life that um as they relapsed and tried to hide it from mm. me that I've that I've had to have that conversation of look <laughs> everything that you're doing points towards you're using like I'm not stupid you know are you using and if the answer is which has never been yes but eventually it turns out that it, it is yes right through whether they go back to jail or end up back in treatment, or they finally admit that they've been using. Um, you know, I, I have to say like, I don't hang out with people that are using today. Like I'll go to a meeting with you, but we're not going to go shoot pool right, or, or any of that. Because what, what if, what if it triggers me? Right. Like, like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're out and they, they're having a, a drink again and the ism takes over cuz i'm not immune to it right 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 you know i have a lot to lose today so i've had to let some people go you know people that i've put invested a lot of time in uh trying to help them and and it's just not their time mm-hmm. you know and the the shitty the, the shittiest part about all of that for me personally is that for those people that i've invested time in that didn't get sober, I can't help but have a resentment against them, and then I have to go and I have to go through the process i have to I have to put their name on paper what what they did, you know because what happens with the resentment is is that we relive the feeling of what they did to us right that's what a that's what a resentment is um and and we're never mad at the people we're mad at what they did to us because whether it was Joe or Jim or, or Jack or Johnny, you know, like, I got, those are just names I'm throwing out there. But, but if, if Joe did the same thing to me that Johnny did, I would have the same reaction. So that goes and it shows that it's not the person, it's the action. Right. right. And then I relive that feeling over and over again. I internalize it. And then all of a sudden I'm in that negative thinking, the disease is taken over. I'm, I'm living in that resentment, that fear, that anger. I'm, um, I'm, um, and eventually, like if, if, if I do that long enough, then you know, a drink's gonna sound good. And it all comes from a place of good intention. And so, like when I, when I do have to go through that, I have to go to work on this stuff so that I don't end up being sicker than the person I was trying to help. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. But I don't think that you need to have a conversation with, with everybody. I don't think you need to go down to the, to the bar that you sat at for the last 20 years and tell Sally, the bartender, you know, Sally, it's been nice knowing you, but I'm, I'm not going to be around for a while, but that's just me. Like, I don't, I don't think I owe my drug dealer anything.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I I really like the idea, like you said, that it happens organically. And I think in that instance, I don't think you need to make a conscious effort a lot of times to to go back to to some of these, quote unquote, friends. Um, and in those instances where a conversation is necessary, like it, it, you'll know that, that that's what needs to happen. And generally, it's just a process of establishing boundaries more than anything. Yeah. Um, and those are conversations we need to be willing to have, like, regardless, whether it's family or friends or or whatever the case is. Like, we always have to be willing to establish some healthy boundaries, um, no matter what the case is. Um, but, you know, as you were thinking, I I, I thought it was interesting because I, I do have friends that still use and drink. Um, and they do it in a way that is not uh, at all how I used to do things. Uh, yeah, and there is still, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm able to hang out with these people as long as they are not using or drinking. Like if they're having a beer, it's different. Like if they're just having a beer, like whatever, it's not a big deal. Um, but if, generally if it's anything more than that then we're no longer sharing the same experience and there isn't any reason for me to 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 be here with you right um and i have found myself in instances where it has triggered me in fact the last time i i really felt triggered was you know a little over a year ago with uh with a particular friend of mine who um, still does some of this stuff and, uh, you know, like we just, it was purely innocent. went to a little campfire, um, and you know, he had some of his friends there and they were all kind of just drinking and smoking weed and, and, uh, and I don't, I don't ever, you know, think about it except for when I see people that are enjoying it. Yeah. And and it's weird for me because like that's not how it was for me towards the end, right? Like right. I wasn't enjoying it. Um and so I can have that time where, you know, I'm like, fuck, like well they, they seem to just be be enjoying it. Like they're just doing it like a gentleman, if yeah. you will. Um, and, uh, and so that was a really weird situation for me. And it's like, well, I'm still learning, right? I'm still learning about like which situations I can put myself in and which situations are probably not a good idea. And, you know, because this friend has been my friend for so long, I'm able to say, I'm feeling a bit triggered right now and this is not a healthy situation for me. And, uh, and and i did share that with him it's not like i had to leave or like i bolted or um or even that i had a bad time from that point um but you know i did acknowledge the fact that i was feeling that way and and uh, and let them know and i think ultimately like the result was this same friend um not even more than a month ago had another get together at his place and, um, had invited a bunch of those same friends over for like a poker night. Right. And I happened to go over there for the next day for something else. And I found out about the poker night and there was a part of me that was like, damn, you didn't invite me. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, I thought to myself, like, well, and I even said, I was like, dude, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, a little jealous that I didn't get invited. And he's like, well, I honestly didn't know if it was going to be your thing, dude. Like we were kind of you know, we were drinking and, and smoking and we didn't know, you know, and it was like, that's a good friend. Yeah. You know, like that's a good friend. The guy that's, that's going to say like, it's not a good idea for you to be in this environment, you know? And, uh, and really there's, there's, there's a few friends I have like that that still drink and use. And when I say use, like they're mainly just smoking pot. I mean, I guess I can't say just smoking pot, but they 're mainly smoking pot and they 're drinking it and
1: doesn't doesn 't seem to destroy their lives
0: exactly, like they seem to be able to do it responsibly yeah and uh, and you know, like I do have to be very careful sometimes how I navigate those situations, but all these friends realize my situation and they know if they 're doing something that 's a little extreme or that feels like it's going to be, you know, a little much for me. then generally I'm not invited to those situations. And I'm grateful for that. Like, I don't want to be there. Like it's, and it's like you said, like, I, I oftentimes don't enjoy being around people that are overly intoxicated. Like that's, that's not fun for me. Like Mm. we're not having the same experience. Why do I want to be there? Yeah. Um, and so this is all just a learning process. It's all been a process of trial and error. Like you said, like, I know better than to think that, um, you know, I can be in certain situations without drinking or drugging. Um, and, and luckily at this stage of the game, like I've been able to determine, you know, what is a good idea and what isn't a good idea. And, uh, and oftentimes like I'm just, you know, like boring is okay. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Boring is safe. Right. Yeah. I exactly. guess like, I mean, to an extent, right. But, but you know, the, the flip side to all that is, is, is when we come in here and we kind of realize that there's some changes that need to be made. Um, fortunately we're able to find new connections you right know? and and had i not come here you know like like i do have friends now that are also in sobriety and that's that's pretty much who i hang out with 99 percent of the time um through a lot of like what you were saying that trial and error i have more in common with the person in recovery than i do with the occasional drinker the 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 once in a while user, the alcoholic, honestly, Absolutely. The, the practicing alcoholic. And, and and with enough time and practice and program, I'm able to either do stuff by myself where I'm okay with it mm-hmm. um, or find sober events like, you know, our buddy Jake, uh, you, you know, we, we go to a lot of concerts together where... There's an abundant amount of people using and drinking all over the place right. but but we're there together, sober, doing this concert stuff you know and or going to events like we did um with valor, where everybody there was sober and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. the the goal was to have fun and sobriety um <clears throat> and and the connections that i've gained um on this side of the table right are are so much more genuine because Like, like I talk so much more openly with the people in sobriety because, you know, now we're talking about our illness and the solution to that, you Mm -hmm, know, we're not mm -hmm. so much talking about the, the money property or prestige that comes along with, with my ego when I'm on that side of the table over here, it's a, it's a much more spiritual and, um, meaningful relationship. And so that doesn't come without work, but it does come with a lot of worth, you know? And so, uh, being able to, I don't, you know, I've heard it said so many times, like, like we don't close one door without another door opening, you know? Um, there was a time that I thought more was better. I thought, Oh man, if I had, if I had everybody like me and I had all these friends, it would be better. But, Mm -hmm. but, now, it's, it's more like the quality of my friendships are what mattered. Right. Me. You right. Know, if, if I can die with five close friends, um, then, then I would say I am dying a success, you know? So, so there is, you know, that, that old way of being a friend and, and having associations. And then there's the way that I have it now and, and they're, they're night and day, but they, they both kind of have the same goal in mind. For me to feel wanted, for me to feel important, to, for me to feel heard, and for me to feel useful. And if I have those things, right, then, then I'm able to give that back to the other people. And hopefully I can make somebody else that, that I care about feel heard and feel wanted and feel valued and feel important through, you know, my sharing of, of my experience with them and, you know, just having, having some life together mm-hmm. kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I, I agree like when, when I'm hanging out with somebody who's sober, um, because, you know, I've been fortunate enough to make some really great friends in sobriety as well. Um, and, and a lot of times when I'm hanging out with these people, I don't, I don't think about the fact that we're not drinking. I don't Mm -hmm. think about the fact that we're not using drugs. Um, I think about the fact that we are here together and we are both people who um, have been through uh, hell and have come out the other side and and that we are here sharing this experience together. When I go out today with those friends that still drink or drug, I am very aware that I am there sober, and that they are there drinking and that they know that I'm sober and that I know they're drinking. And anyways, like it really can put like a weird sort of haze on the situation. Like you said, like you don't want me to be there if you're drinking and drugging, you know? Um, luckily, like, like I said, I mean, the, the friends that I have are not alcoholics. They're not drug addicts. So it's a little bit different, but, um but it's it's a different experience mm-hmm. it's a completely different experience and i think when i have friends um who are who want to see me succeed um who really have my best interest in mind um like these are the kind of people that i want in my life and i i have those kind of people on both sides of the fence right like i have those people who are sober who continue to work on themselves. And then I have those people who are not alcoholic and not um, addicts who have the occasional drink, who again, still want to see me succeed. And so like, that's what's important to me um, in, in a friendship is like somebody that wants to know me on a very deep level, somebody who's not afraid to um, open up to me as well and who has my best interest in mind. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and, when I was out there using and drinking, these were not the kind of people I surrounded myself with like I remember and I remember when i first um i had i had made an attempt to to quit on my own, and it completely went awry and when I got back um like I kind of my dad sort of put me on house arrest right <laughs> okay. like took me to his place and was like you know, you're here until we figure something out. Um, and, uh, and I got on the phone with my drug dealer and I was telling him, I'm like, dude, I gotta quit. Like I gotta be done, you know? And this is a conversation I'm having with the guy who gives me drugs and he's like, yeah, man, like I get it. Like if that's what you gotta do. And, and that's the thing. It's like, I do think that that person, thought that way. Like, dude, yeah, if you got to fucking get sober, like get sober. Yeah. But he, he didn't bat an eye when I said, okay, give me the stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and that's because he was just as sick as me. Right. You know? And that's the thing is like, one of the things that we have said is like, I don't think that these people are bad people they're just as sick as me, which is why I'm keeping that company is like, I need somebody that, that is going to give it to me when I need it, Yeah. you know? Um, and I'm not willing to, to, um, spend my time around anybody who's not, because that's the state of mind that I was in. Um, and I will mention too, that that drug dealer actually passed away from an overdose, um, a couple of years ago and, and, uh, and you know like it was sad i was sad like he was he was a decent dude um and uh, and it's just you know the 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 cunning baffling powerful nature of the disease and and just how confusing sometimes it can be to know how to feel about some of these things that yeah. we that we encounter because you know these friendships aren't necessarily um completely garbage um but they're, they're not what I base my friendship on today. And I think that, um, that that's, that's the difference now is like today I have to be very particular about the people I surround myself with. And, uh, and so I am, but it doesn't change the fact that these people, you know, meant a lot to me. Um, and, uh, and I don't know. Yeah. Does that make sense yeah, yeah.
1: And, and you know having people in sobriety in your life it, it's it's a little added insurance, you know um, because um I am an alcoholic, and I'm going to need help from time to time with with my thinking and and you know some some alcoholism i'm going to need some help with my ism and if if all I have are normal people the occasional drinker or active addicts and alcoholics in my life, then I'm not going to have anybody to bounce this stuff right. off of. Yeah. Nobody. You know, I need people that are like me in the same uh, recovery process, dealing with the same type of thinking, dealing with the same type of recovery so that I have a safe place to go and be like, fuck, you know, Ugh. Yeah. and they go, yeah, I get it. Let's, let's get into the solution because I don't get the solution from... The dealer that's still dealing like, yeah i get the dope from him you know and i don't i don't get the solution from the the occasional drinker because they're like well why don't you just not drink you know like that's all i do is not drink and i don't get the solution from the non-drinker who's like well why, you, why, why it, what's the appeal yeah why are you thinking like that like mm-hmm. why don't you just stop but from, from the addict or the alcoholic in sobriety, in recovery, working a program, they go, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. I was there yesterday. Right. I'm glad to be of service. Right. And, and, you know, I get, I get the solution that I need through the people that I surround myself with by going to meetings, staying connected, being on the side of the table. The Instagram family that we found, mm-hmm. you know, that, that were all just a, an amazing part of that community, You know, like like uh, like what we found with Donnie, not so anonymous.
0: Right. Yeah. He's he's one of those people um, who who were lucky enough to surround ourselves with today, who, um, you know, has has uh, has been an amazing person that we've we've encountered and and is spreading a a hell of a message. Um, One of the many. You know yeah um I'm super grateful to have his story today i I you know i'll I'll admit it was a little bit more um extreme than I thought it was gonna be, which I think says a lot about somebody's growth Um, yeah. you know, I would look at him today and and then hear his story and say wow that you've you've come a long way a long it. way, a and, miracle, yeah exactly." Um, So I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of his story. I know I did, and I'm excited to share it with everybody. So without further ado, here is Donnie's war story.
2: What's up, everyone? Donnie, drug addict, alcoholic, uh, recovering addict. Um, You know, I've been sober for a little over two and a half years now. I got a sponsor you know. I worked the steps, I worked the 12 steps uh, of AA, that's where my foundation is. But ov- obviously I didn't just struggle with, you know, alcohol, it was, it was everything. It was more of anything and everything that I can get my hands on, uh, you know, a little backstory you know, I'm from Ohio. I started at a young age. I was introduced to drugs and drinking by family, friends that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been exposed to, but that's just what happened. And it was the party lifestyle, you know, my family, my parents, they partied really hard and all their friends did. So, so when I grew up seeing all that, it was like, I was looking up to these people that were like larger than life. And, and I was, I was almost captivated by that and they would tell me not to do these things that they were doing, but I'm watching it happen. So therefore I'm going to do the stuff, you know, whatever it was, it was, there were, I mean, they're bikers, they're having parties for three days, three days long. And I'm like a little kid, you know, I'm watching fucking chicken fights going on and like all this crazy shit, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I'm extremely grateful for that, but I, I touch on a lot of the childhood stuff because that's where I think a lot of, uh, the traumas and exposure to things that weren't normal, uh, came about. And that kind of led me into my addiction more and more. And, I believe this, the disease of addiction does center in the mind. You know, that's exactly where where it is. Whether whether we were born into some environment that we were exposed to things or, or whether we weren't, it's still, we have an addict mindset, or I do at least. And so growing up, it was weird, man, like being being around all that stuff. and And I had an older sister and she was older. Her friends were older than her by like three or four years. So I'm, you know, I'm 12 years old hanging out with, people that are, you know, high school or graduated and they're smoking weed, I'm getting high with them. And next thing I know, I'm doing cocaine by the time I'm in sixth grade. Uh, And then I, you know, I started growing weed and I, and I was around family businesses too. So I kind of knew my first job, I was 12. So I kind of knew that I had to work to maintain or or to provide for myself. Cause that was just what was ingrained in me. Like I work hard and I play harder. That's just what the the mindset that I was raised around, you know from my dad, my uncle's my my grandfather, all that you know they had all businesses and they were let's not they'd say they were they weren't the most successful businesses, but they were and then it was a lot of the due to the chaos of addiction and and all that lifestyle that goes along with it and but anyways i started so I started growing weed right and and I thought that helped me maintain my addiction. And then I thought I was someone I thought, you know, like, I, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm selling weed at 15 years old. I got all my friends over at my house, trimming all my plants for me, you know, all my friends from high school. And, and I, and I thought I was like, I thought I was someone. And, you know, my dad gets prescribed pain pills. I start those, you know, I start doing it with my sister and, and it progresses, man. Like I'm selling them, I'm eating them. And, and I find out that it's, it's quick money. I was started getting more addicted to the, like the fast paced, easy money lifestyle. And my house was the party house. I would have a hundred, couple, a couple hundred people at my house on the weekends, you know, like huge, huge parties, mul- you know, multiple kegs. And I got my first DUI when I was 18. Um, before that, I had some charges as a kid, but it was a, from a small, I'm from a small town. I knew a lot of people. So I kept getting away with things over and over and that's I think that's what kept me in my addiction for so long is I had no consequences. Like I, I did all this stuff and and I was cool. Like on you know I, it just was like slap on the wrist, here you go. And so I just kept going deeper and deeper. And and I'm not gonna and I it was fun. Like I had some fun partying at, at certain times and then it was fun with problems and then it was just straight problems towards the end. And So that fun, the the brief moments of fun that I did have, like early on, it kept tricking me into thinking that I was having a good time and, and the society or or just as a whole, or the, the people I was associated with, they all partied. I did not know anyone that was sober or ever sober or in recovery. You know, the whole thing that a lot of people would say is, um, AAs for quitters and, and stuff like that. Like the, you know, party, work hard, party harder. And that was the life I lived for, you know, growing up and selling the drugs. And, uh, so I was selling a lot of pain pills from doctors and when the DEA cracked down, right. Uh, all these doctors got cut off and the whole, you know, the whole country got flooded with heroin, fentanyl. And, and the, the my my parents' drug addiction destroyed my family, and, and the certain drugs that they did destroyed our lives and our family or whatever. And so I said I wasn't going to do those drugs, You know, I wasn't going to smoke crack, and I wasn't going to go down these this path, right? Because I looked at people that did heroin and crack, like they were less than or they were like the worst of the worst, especially people that shot up. And I was like totally against that for the longest time. But the disease of addiction, the progression of it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't care, you know? And so I, I, uh, like I said, all the, all the doctors got cut off. My pain pill supply got, got cut off my friends closest to me some family that I used to sell all these to, they switched over to doing heroin and, and fentanyl. And, you know, there's those pivotal moments in my, in my addiction that opened up that next level that I didn't know was there, you know, and, um, and th- those are, there are a couple of them. I'll touch on a couple of them, but, uh, it was, <clears throat> so I got this job right when I was 21 and I was traveling the country. And at this time, my, my addictions really like ramping up. I had a bad relationship. I had a really good relationship, that I drove to the ground had a bunch of emotional pain which I'm sure a lot of people can relate with you know it's like fuck her it was her fault all this you know and and that and I drank and I used to cover up shit to cover up feelings to cover up emotions all that and so after that relationship you know I was about 21 I got this job I'm traveling the country building these commercial buildings and I'm in a different city different different state every week or, or every couple of weeks every month you know and wherever I went it didn't matter like I found the drugs wherever because I my addiction called me and I literally had to answer like I would find the dang- most dangerous spot in whatever city I was at I would go there and I would just start hit just talking to people like yo what's up you know like let me you know you got something and I put myself in some really fucked up situations you know I got robbed sometimes I, I robbed some people like it was just chaos you know and um that's when the, but that job also I was making really good money and it kept me going again because like I was providing I had the car and I had the house I was had a lot of responsibilities at a young age and it kept me going and going. And somehow I kept that job for, for a lot of years. You know, I would work half the year, make enough money, and I would go home and party. I would go back to Ohio and party for the other fucking half the year and, and blow all my money um, and and continue to sell drugs. But so my cousin, like all my friends and stuff, they moved on to the heroin. And so it's getting to the point where I, like I was, I was a social person before. Right. And, but my addiction started turning me into this person that was completely isolated away from everyone and the world. And I, I, I got sick. I was starting, I got dope sick for the first time because all my drugs ran out, you know, and I said, I wouldn't do heroin. I didn't have the money to pay for it. And I got sick. And my one friend was like, yeah, dude, like you're dope sick, man. And And I'm like, man, this is, this is the worst, the worst feeling I ever, you know, ever felt. And he was like, here's a Suboxone, you know, and I did a Suboxone for the first time. And, and, and I was, and that it got me high, dude. Like I got fucked up on it. Uh, so the next time I'm, I hang out with one of my, my close friends or relatives and they're like, Hey, this is, you know, some powdered methadone. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'll do that. And, and he, and I do it and it's fentanyl, and I overdose the first time I do it, you know, and I wake up, I'm like, damn, like, let me get some more of that, like, whatever that was, I know it wasn't methadone, but I'm down, you know, and that opens up that next door, and next thing I know, you know, I, I, I'm doing cocaine, and I say I'll never, you know, smoke crack, because I watched that drug destroy people, next thing I know, I'm doing that. Next thing I know, you know, and the, and I, lo- I talk about the law of association, you know, people used to joke with me and they'd be like, yo, you need to pick better friends. Like my, some of my family members would be like, you need to pick better friends. You, they kept telling me that over and over. And I was like, I didn't fucking understand what they were saying because I was so caught up in it. And I thought like they were all, all good people, you know, and this one dude gives me meth for the first time. He tells me it's cocaine and that, and I'll never forget those pivotal moments when i tried that drug because it unleashed and an that next animal inside of me and it just boom like set off the the addiction even more and so i i get uh i get some charges or i get caught with some drugs i fall asleep in my car the cops and this is like my one of my first times that I really had some serious charges against me I have a bunch of drugs on my lap that I'm literally going to sell but I fell asleep I fell out before I even made the transaction and so I have a bunch of charges against me felonies and they're like you know go to treatment and get sober do this this and this and you're probably going to get the charges dropped from felonies to misdemeanors and I'm like okay like I don't want no felonies on my record so I'm going to listen to these people and this was my my first introduction to sobriety, recovery, detox, rehab, any of that because like I said my normal was party hard. So I go into this treatment center, I detox, and this is the first time I've ever detoxed off of all the drugs that I've been doing since I was 12 years old. So now I am 25, so this is like a, you know, 10 13 year run or so. Of me, like, never being any somewhat sober. So I don't even know who I am. I literally sleep the whole time in detox. Like, not sleep, but just in the bed, like, dying. You know, I couldn't even get out of the bed for the the detox. And then I go to the residential after that, because that's what they suggested I do. I go to the residential. It's in the hood, like, the house that we stayed in. There was trap houses on both sides they're throwing drugs over the fence to everyone in the rehab and every this kid overdoses in there. Like this was not the best place to get sober, but I, but I did, I stayed sober because I had those consequences on my back and that was always in my mind. I was like, I don't want to go to prison. I don't, I like my freedom too much to do that. And that was the first experience that I had, uh, with like a pottery or a fellowship with other people. And the first time that I learned anything about addiction and how, how my addiction, how my mind was, was set up, like why I was doing the things I was doing. And it was like light bulbs going off, like one after another, you know, and I start reading, I actually start listening, but deep down, I'm just like, I just need to get rid of the drugs. I'm not an alcoholic. Like I was never an alcoholic, even though I had multiple DUIs already and <laughs> plenty of blackouts, all that. I just thought I needed to get rid of the heroin and the crack and I'd be good. So I'm in that treatment center. I'm learning a lot of stuff, but I still haven't surrendered at all, like to this, to the fact that I'm an addict. I couldn't even, I wouldn't even say that I was an addict or an alcoholic. I just was there and I was like, yeah, I mean, I can relate. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I did that. I did this. I did that, but I'm not an addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I can control my, my consumption. You know, I just need a break from it. So I, I a guy comes in, you know, he does H and I, and this was the first time I heard like a grown man literally talk about how fucked up he was and and got emotional in front of a crowd of fifty or sixty people, and I was just like, this was unreal to me. I never seen this happen before because I, you know, the people I was I grew up around was they were hardcore. Like they were like, handle your shit, you know, don't be a bitch, don't cry, don't show emotion, like fucking man up. So I I that's and that. I kept this facade on for the longest time like i had this mask on like i had to be some hard ass but deep down inside i was just falling apart every day like i was just dying inside when i hear this guy speak at the rehab uh i'm like damn dude like it was one you know one of those spiritual experiences or spiritual moments in your life of like uh, an awakening you know and, and i experienced that i went up to the guy i said hey And I want to thank you for sharing all that. You know, like I thought I was the only one, (laughs) you know, I thought I was unique. And so we hit it off. We started talking and like I gave him my number and I told him I was getting out. So I stayed sober that whole time, 45 days altogether with 30 day residential detox. I get out this guy. I don't have a car. I don't have a license because I destroyed all that. I gave it all away. He comes and picks me up every day, takes me to meetings one thing he did for me, he said, I want you to go up and introduce yourself to all these people at this meeting. And these are like big meetings, hundred people. Like they're, they're big, you know? And I don't even know who I am as a person. I'm filled with fear, anxiety. I'm nervous as fuck. I'm, I'm sweating. I'm still withdraw. I'm still like not physically. Okay. Even after 30, 40 days, I'm still like, sketchy. I'm like, you know, I'm like the, the stray dog out on the street that's like scared of every little thing. <laughs> and But I introduced myself to all these people and they're all laughing, having a good time. And I'm like, what the fuck are these people so happy about? You know, <laughs> I was like, hey, but, I, but it attracted me, right? Because the attraction rather than promotion, I was attracted to that because I wasn't used to that. I'd never seen it. And I stayed sober for about four and a half, five months, something like that going to meetings every day. I wasn't working the steps. I was like, you keep your steps. I don't, I don't know. I don't need that shit. And, uh, I did have some spiritual moments, spiritual awakenings during that time though. And and life started getting good. I started feeling good. I was working out for the first time ever in my life. And physically I felt good. I gained, I was 125 pounds soaking wet. I gained like 40 pounds or so, 45 pounds. And everyone's like oh you look so good you're doing good you're doing good this that well that fucked me up because i thought i was something and i thought i was doing something right (laughs) got to my head and cunning baffling and powerful i'm out to out i'm bowling with friends and family and i'm like i could have a drink you know one drink that ain't gonna hurt i'm not an alcoholic i just the drugs were the problem I double jack and coke boom and off to the races and when i talk about the obsession getting kicked on i won't forget that because it was so powerful that i had no control over it and i thought that was it one drink next thing i know i'm cocaine back back to the drugs it's same shit you know and i run on a run for about a year with that that time and in that year a lot of things happened you know friends started dying left and right uh two of my best friends, the one that got me working out, and another one that I grew up with, both of them I grew up with. And the power of the addiction, right? I'm and they're both they're both in their twenties. We're like twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven. Uh I go to their funerals and my and they're family friends. So like the whole community. This is like a small town, so everyone's there. And I'm just like, everyone's crying and and they're like, yo, I would never do this to us. And I'm like, yeah, I would never do this to you. Like, I don't even get high anymore. Like, I'm sober. You know, I'm lying to them. Because cause I, I walk in the bathroom and I'm getting high in the funeral home as my best friends are laying in a casket dead. And I thought I had everyone fooled, especially myself. You know, I was just lying to myself, honestly. Uh, Overdose know I, I, I leave the funeral I overdose not too long after one thing after another car accidents uh the, the chaos the insanity of the addiction i i i uh, wreck my truck into a uh, another truck and because I fell out at the wheel so i i this accident happens and i look you know and I try to run my first thing, but my whole truck is destroyed. And I see in the rearview mirror, a truck flipped over in the woods, smoke pouring out of it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like I did it this time. I jumped out of the truck. I had my crack pipe, all my pills in like a container. I throw all that off into the woods and I run to this truck to see like if these people are okay. And by this time, the bystanders are all coming out like, you know, and, and, and we look into the truck and there's a guy driving and then there's three little kids like in their car seats in the back. You know, crying upside down, and so we all start. You know, we pull the guy out, we get the kids out, all this stuff. Thank God, everyone was okay. But you think that would have woke me up? But no, and I didn't get a DUI. Like I lied, I manipulated. I, I, I knew people. I got out of it. I just got some, you know, slaps on the wrist. You think something like that would wake me up? And it didn't. I keep going. My family at this point, they're like, "I'm done." They're cutting me off, and I'm like, "Okay." Like so, I go back to treatment again. Same thing stay sober for four or five months. I drink a, but I come out to Arizona because my grandparents are like, Hey, change of pace, change of environment. Here you go. I'm like, cool. <clears throat> come out here. A friend of mine from Ohio lives here. I drink a Bud Light lime back off to the races again. You know, that obsession is so powerful when they say one. And it, it's done, dude. And that's like the powerlessness for me is I don't know what happens. If I pick up one drink, I can say I might die. I can say I might end up in prison. I could say I might end up back in treatment or I might go on for the next 10 years destroying everything in my path. Or I don't know what happens. Like that's the fucking thing with it. It's like I'm gambling with my life if I pick up one drink. And I don't I don't want to gamble that anymore because I like I seriously don't know what's going to happen. And and I realized that it wasn't like Strangers weren't always in danger around me. It was more of the people that I loved the most that were like they were in danger. If I was around and I was getting high, watch the fuck out because I'm gonna like do whatever it takes. So I go on another run, and it gets to the point where I can't go on living like this anymore. Uh, this is like an eight month run, uh, and I'm everything is gone. You know, all my friends, all that shit. All right, uh, all my friends are gone. everything. i'm losing the house the car i it's such a dark moment i end up you know i have a needle on my arm this time i'm like how the fuck did i get here a moment of clarity how did i get to this point my only way out i was going to kill myself you know i had my gun i was ready just to end it because i would do drugs hoping i didn't wake up but i woke up every time so this is the first time I genuinely reached out and asked for help and I said, "Hey, I'm fucked up. I need help or I'm going to I'm going to kill myself." And people were there for me. And I, thank God these treatment centers, right? This this counselor, I go in, this is my third time and he's like, "Look around, man. Everyone's dying around you. All your friends, all your family, all this stuff's happening. Wake up, dude. Like you have all this potential and you're fucking wasting it." It's like it was basically like him smacking me in the face without him smacking me in the face. So I go through that treatment center, and I make a decision, dude. In that treatment center, I was like, I am done with this life, and I will. And I like every ounce, everything in me. I was like, I'm done. I I can't go on living like this anymore. So that was the the day I decided to like actually take the program serious. Uh, I got out. I came out to Arizona again. Walked into the rooms, and I took that same same tool that that guy that first sponsor I ever had gave me I went up to a bunch of strangers that I'd never met in my life I said hey I'm Donnie I'm new I got 45 50 days sober I'm fucked up like what do I do like I just need some help (laughs) you know but that vulnerability and that honesty with those strangers opened up the doors for me in my recovery and now I have relationships with those same people over two and a half years later and and some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. Like my life has completely changed from recovery. And that's when, and and the true miracles happened when I surrendered to someone else's way. And I said, okay, I'll try your steps because obviously the past two times didn't work for me. So I'm going to do these steps and thank God my, you know, my first mentor first sponsor that i got he's you know 85 30 years of sobriety and this guy beat the he beat step one into my mind and made me read it over and over until i internalized it so much and that's part of my daily practice is step one two and three every day and then the real the real stuff started happening after four and five you know someone explained to me because i'm i'm slacking on this i'm a procrastinator right one of my character defects i'm on the i'm in the 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 road to doing the same thing I did before. And some guy said, hey, he said, I never seen anyone die from doing a four-step, but I've seen a lot of people die from not doing a four-step. And that shit hit me hard. And I was like, damn, all right. So that opened my mind up and I did it. And And I was overthinking it the whole time. But once I did that, the release from all that trauma, all the fears, all that baggage that I was carrying for so long was finally lifting from me. And I was seeing the patterns of over and over and over that I was living in and, and to to see a pattern or to change something, I must see it first before I can actually change it. And, and, and I did that. And, and I, I kept going to meetings every day, meeting after meeting. And I changed my, 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 the law of association. I changed my environment. I changed my thoughts. I changed my circle of people and my life completely changed, you know, one, literally one day at a time. Um, I could go into a lot, you know, like the the brothers that I've met in the program, they got my back, no matter what happens, they have my back and they don't expect anything in return. I never had that before. And that is one of the the crucial parts of this is the connection with other people in the program. So this is possible for anyone, man. Like, you know, if you, if you get out of treatment or you're in treatment, like, it's a miracle that you made it into treatment, first of all, because not so many people are lucky enough to even make it into the seat that we got. You know, we paid. We paid a lot of shit, you know, a lot of relationships, a lot of stuff to get into that seat. You know, we fucking earned it for sure. But a lot of people don't. You know, I, I've lost a lot of people in my recovery as well. So don't take it for granted. You know, that's what they told me. Don't, don't take this opportunity that you've been blessed with and a second chance at life. Don't waste it and and I so I I live by that every day. I'm like, okay, I've been blessed with this opportunity. I'm I'm going to utilize it. What am I going to do with it? And I can promise you gratitude. The practice of gratitude will get you through the beginning of your recovery, the the hard parts of your recovery. When I focus on all the good things and the small little things, just my health alone is something to be grateful for, and that will pull me out of any funk any depression, any anxiety, when I focus on the little things that I have right in front of me, you know, and I and I want to share this one experience that I had, and and I'll wrap it up because this was a whole perspective shift on gratitude for me and how how lucky I was. I I started a business in my recovery, and I go about about seven months sober. I go to a, a nursing home facility to help this guy try to try to get out of there uh, into a home, right? And I, I go up the elevator to go meet, do this consultation with this guy. I get to the top. I get out. And there's a kid there in a wheelchair, completely paralyzed from his neck down. And I'm like, he's like, "Hey man, will you hit that button? You know, I need to go down." And I'm like, "Yeah, dude, I got you, bro." Like, I hit the, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. You know, all he could do was talk. So I hit this button. I'm standing there with him, and I'm like, "Hey man, you don't mind me asking, how'd you get here?" And he was like, "Ah, I was fucking drunk." You know, and I went cliff diving with my friends and I, and I jumped and I broke my neck and he was 21 years old. And I was like, holy shit. You know how many times I was drunk and did cliff jumping or car accidents and like, and this kid does this one thing one time and he's paralyzed for the rest of his life, stuck like that. And I was like, holy shit. He's in that position for the rest of his life and he can't change it. But me, and then I look at my situation, I'm like, damn, I'm fucking blessed. And I do have the option or the, the choice to go do something now. And and that was like a huge perspective shift for me. Is like how blessed we are just to have our health. And uh, anyways, I'll go on and on about gratitude. And the program works if you work it. That's all I got to say. So, yeah, my, me and my boys, we have a podcast, Not So Anonymous. Um, Not So Anonymous podcast, Instagram. We have, you know, every we have a I don't know about 50 episodes now. Come listen to it. We uh we talk about war stories, comedy, and we carry the message. You know, a lot of solid recovery in there, and how we how we uh, live through life. You know, in recovery. And on my personal page is the the real Don Ellis. Uh, hit me up, message me, any of that. I'm always open, man. Always open to talk to anyone.
0: Wow. I yeah, love that story, dude. dude. That, that story of gratitude is just amazing. Uh, right? Yeah. Right there. Yep. Slap in the face. I think, uh, thank you, Donnie. Yeah. That your story was amazing, man. Uh, and, and ending it on that note is, uh, is beautiful. Like, I, I, uh, I feel like every now and again, I just get a good, solid reminder of just how lucky I how am. How lucky and
1: close. Yep. Like, how, how many close calls was there. You know, he's lucky he lived through that car crash.
0: He's lucky he lived through a lot of helmets. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I think that, you know, I'm glad that he can recognize that today. Um, takes his sobriety uh, very seriously as he should. Yeah. I, I definitely related with a lot in his story. Like I, you know, he talked a lot about crossing lines and just having those, those, uh those those lines that we we're just we just said we would never cross for any other reason because you know we've seen what they've done to other people or you know we've seen um you know just or the negative stigma that comes along with those substances, whatever the case may be, we have these lines, right? Like that are our own boundaries that the progressive nature of the disease will just take us right across. Yeah. You know. Um, oftentimes in my case, you know, with a little resistance. Yeah. Um, With
1: very little fight. Exactly. Find ourselves there. Well, dealers out of pills. Yeah. What am I going to do? Time to upgrade. Here we go. And, and there's this slight resistance in the moment, but the desire to change the way we feel is so powerful that we cross that line again and again and again and again Mm. and again you know and he's right you know thank god for counselors or or whoever it was that planted that seed that you know was able to you, you know some of us were able to go back and ask for help some of us able to come back to the rooms you know some of us got that seed planted and and we knew where to go you know thank thank god for that you know yeah. thank god for for the authorities that that push sobriety on us you know That are like, well, you can either get sober or you can fucking go to prison. Right. And
0: get sober. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's just the thing. I was like, my case is just, you know, just as similar as his, where, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times people go to treatment and they don't get sober right away. Right. Right. Like, I mean, keep in mind, it doesn't have to be that way, but we oftentimes are introduced And, and, uh, and the seed is planted. And in my experience anyways, then I go back out and try and relive the glory days. And it comes with like a whole new set of shame, right? Like now I really know I have a fucking problem. I was in rehab for Christ's sake. Yeah. Four months ago. Yeah, exactly. So I know that this is an issue and here I am again, you know. Yeah. On the run for a year. Doing the same deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and... I like how innocent, it, it's always, like, so innocent. It's like, you know, I want a fucking beer when I'm bowling. Yeah, go like, bowling. And have, I can have a drink. Like, drug, like, alcohol is not the problem. It's drugs. Yeah, so, all I got to do is stay away from the dope. I can just drink. It's fine. Yeah. And then, inevitably, that drink leads back to the drug of choice. Yeah, usually faster than, faster than not. Mm-hmm you know yeah and in his case you know that led to another car accident which led to yeah thank god those kids you, were okay i thought that like, story fuck. was going to turn out i mean i i really did like hearing him talk about it i thought that we were going to hear a different ending to that story and so i'm glad to hear that everybody was that okay everybody was okay yeah. but um but you know like a, another another testament you know like how how lucky are we we could have died we could have killed somebody yeah. for sure yeah
1: um, I ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of our lives because we got drunk one time, whether it was cliff diving or you know, driving, driving, you know, running from the cops, getting, you know, robbed, beat up like he was talking about. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times robbery ends in, in homicide. Yeah. You know, you beat mm-hmm. the wrong end of a gun and, you know, the bullet might have been what killed you, but it was the drug addiction that put you in that position. And, right. And, right. Exactly. And, and like... This is a, a a pretty serious illness, and and for us to be on this side of the table with Donnie and the other guys from Not So Anonymous, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about by the company we keep. You know, right. these are the people that. I want in my life today. These are the people that I want to be like. These are the people that inspire me. They're the people that I get, understand, and respect. You know, these are the people that have what I want and are able to share that in a way that I can relate and go, okay, cool, man. I'm not alone. Right. I'm so grateful for this.
0: Yeah. And I need that. I need to know I'm not alone. I need to know that I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Yeah, I need to, to know that I'm not the only one that's had this set of problems, that's had these experiences, that's had friends like that. Right. Yeah. I need to know that 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 I'm that I'm not alone. And and I get that through these interactions with these people, through people that we've met in the rooms, on the podcast, like however that is, I get those relationships today. And those are the people that I need around. Those are the people that I talk to. Those are the people that I turn to. Those are the people that I want to help because yeah. I know they want to help themselves. Like, yeah. And that's, that's what I need today. Um, and I'm so blessed and fortunate to have so many great and wonderful people in my life that help me today to stay sober and sane. Yeah. yeah. And I need it. Gra-
1: gratitude, like Donnie said. Yeah. Go on and on about it. Super grateful. Yeah. So thanks, Donnie.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. Super awesome. Um, you can see, if you're watching, this not-so-anonymous shirt that I'm wearing. Which the
1: meeting is, after the meeting.
0: Which is a super cool logo, and graphic, and artwork that you guys have. Um, I think you can get this shirt if you go check him out on Instagram. It's just not-so-anonymous. He says it in the... not so anonymous not so anonymous podcast and uh and yeah like check them out you definitely won't be disappointed all this stuff guys is just more tools and resources for you to use for us to use um, for our tool bag um anyways man thank you for being here my friend you are part of that company i keep yeah lucky you so are you jordan or you Ryland, appreciate you guys. Glad you guys are here and uh, with that, remember guys, you are worth the work. We see on the other side. The other side of hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow or a five-star rating.